I'm looking for a submarine. It's big and black, and the driver is a very good friend of mine. There's lots of bonds we could have cho- chosen from because we've only done one so far. H- how many are there all told? There's one in there. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but not 30. Yeah, about 20 in there. <laughs> yeah. So um, the reason we chose this one is because it was directed by Michael Apted, who's recently died. Yes. And uh, I I like the Apted. I happened on a... the. Directors Guild of America website where they have a huge archive of interviews with directors, like and they're like six-hour interviews for mm. some of them. And Aptib was one of those. And he came across really well, and I'd sort of forgotten he'd done a Bond film, so I was very interested to get my teeth into this one. It was a very strange choice for Bond. Poor, how come? I he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's a franchise director. I think he would much rather be working on something on his own. But didn't he do some other big action picture before this? I, I was lying there thinking that when I was watching it. Um, actually, the well, I mean, no, I don't know. In terms of action, he did um, Coal Miner's Daughter. He also did, um, <laughs> which just cracks me up every time I see it, it's Critical Conditions. Oh, what is Critical Conditions? It's a Richard Pryor film. <laughs> How weird. Uh, I'm just checking his credits because I, I, I might have this wrong, but there was a, uh, an action movie which I thought that he did, and I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense in terms of if you were looking for somebody to do a Bond. Well, didn't he do a Bond later? Uh, I, let's have a look. I probably should have did looked all this up. I didn't realise we were going to talk that much about him. <laughs> well, uh, poor guy. He's gone. So uh, just quickly looking through this, the world is not enough. do 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 um, well, I'm clearly wrong, because <laughs> I yeah critical. Oh no, I was right. Gorky Park, because I was watching this movie, which has a lot of Russian overlap. The world is not enough, and I thought, did Michael Apted direct Gorky Park, which is a sort of uh, police come spy thriller set in Russia, and he did. So that's you were saying that you didn't think he was a natural for this. Uh, an odd choice, I think, is what you said, mm. and I said no. Because he did Gorky Park, so that's that's my point of view on this. One. But I think of him as a less Movies of a mainstream director. Yeah, he's more of a, a character director, sure. which is what makes this film all the more astonishing. <laughs> for <laughs> now, its... we 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 don't discuss films before we talk about them, but we did inadvertently you sort of let the cat out of the bag that this is how can I put it? It isn't your number one Bond. It's not, although it's certainly a lot more watchable than some of the worst ones. I mean, I could sit through it. Well, that was a cat coming through a cat flap. She might say something now. Are you going to say something? You're just going to scratch the sofa. Oh. And you must have greased her up to get her through it. <laughs> That's very cruel. She's a very slender cat. So, <laughs> you... Okay, the cat's now scratching the sofa. We've got such a great new digital recorder that all these fascinating details of my life can be <laughs> memorialised. Every last scratch. Uh, you... 
my train of thought's gone completely now because of the cat. But you were just saying that uh, this movie is not one of your favourite Bonds because, and he's an actor's director, so it's all the more strange that. Well, I mean, all of my complaints with this film. <laughs> and there's many, I, I sense that. Yeah, but the majority of them centre around one it's character. It's a good film, folks. Oh, it's a good film, folks. Sorry, carry on. I don't think it is. It all centers around Christmas Jones. Oh, Christmas Jones. Well, it's funny that because when I've watched all the Bonds over the years, because, you know, just as they came out, and the only thing I could remember about this was Denise Richards, who plays Christmas Jones. What did you remember about her? All I remembered was his... Okay, so this is replete with spoilers, folks. So at the very end of the film, as in all other movies, Bond is shagging the surviving Bond girl. There's... There's often a high attrition rate amongst Bond girls. But there's one who survives at the end, so there could be a sex scene at the end. And uh, so, and he, uh, Pierce Brosnan has the line, uh, something like, uh, I thought Christmas comes just once a year. And I was in the, the Leicester Square Cinema, this huge flagship cinema, for the first showing, not the first day, but the, the first run in this film. And the audience, there was a combination of sort of groan laugh and sort of a a kind of it was like you were at a party with your family and there was this this disreputable family member who could always be guaranteed to say something dodgy and you sort of there's all and there's sort of this groan but also this affection because <laughs> it's sort of what you expect and for me and I'm not saying that this is a good line it's sort of a terrible line but it's one of the two one-liners that I've never forgotten the other being he had plenty of guts from Honor Majesty's mm. Secret Service. Did you not remember? I thought what was it. I've always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. That's just early, that's like just a few seconds earlier, isn't it? Uh, no, I, yeah, I think it's a bit, quite a bit earlier actually. I think it's when because they, they go to Turkey for no, no reason. It, it, it's it's all part of the wrap up at the end when Q is spying on them just before we get to that. They're, right. they're sitting there and there's fireworks going off and every, all the bad guys have been bested. And he's, he says the line is something like Christmas in Turkey? Yeah, I've always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, we have... This is how shallow this Bond film is. <laughs> how fucking terrible it is. Oh. Is that you've got... Denise Richards has been cast. Now, Denise Richards at this time was a big name. You know, she, I think she's really good. She was doing well for herself. I think she'd already done Starship Troopers. Uh, Wild Things had been quite popular. So she... She was on her. She was in her ascendance, yeah. And this film stopped it dead, because I bet you can't name a film after this that she did. Well, I can't believe that this would have stopped it dead. I, what, she was a very well, good Bond girl in a. No, in, I would argue no, 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 a good no, no, no. Bond film. Right. Firstly, we've got a character whose costume design. They couldn't even be bothered thinking of a costume design. They just dressed her as Lara Croft, who was also popular at the time from the two. Oh, Red I games. didn't realize that. But now that you say that, because she's basically in shorts and boots. But they called I, her right. Christmas Jones because it's a, a a play on Indiana Jones, and they've got Christmas. Uh, even she, her first line, I think, is "Don't make any jokes. I've already heard them all." So she, she says, I'm Dr. Jones. Don't make any jokes. I've heard them all. And he says, I don't know any Dr. Jokes, which I thought was a good line. In character, yeah, I'll give you that. His line is good. Every single line of dialogue that Denise Richards has in this film is exposition. And it's not even clever or careful exposition. It's clumsy. It's almost like audio description. And I don't understand why she did it. 
Kashima. I was watching uh, the special features for Goldeneye because we did Goldeneye as well fairly recently, or I did. You haven't watched it yet. And I was watching an interview with Isabella Skorupko, who was a bold casting choice for them because she wasn't really known in the UK at the time. And on the extra, she says that thing that every single Bond girl, and indeed every single Doctor Who girl says over the years when they're cast, which is, I'm not the same as the others, I'm not a screamer, I'm much more proactive. In the case of Isabella Skrupko, she was. In the case of Denise Richards, she does nothing to further this plot at all, oh, apart from explain the plot. Look, um, folks, I think... That, so, for my money, let's start with Denise Richards. Denise Richards, I think, is a very good Bond girl because she's very alluring, but she also has agency. She's a nuclear scientist, so she's not just... This, this <laughs> Dressed in me, hot pants! <laughs> yeah, I'm slightly at a disadvantage that I quite like her being hot pants, but now that you've mentioned the Lara Croft thing, I think, yeah, that is a big rip-off. And the Jones thing, I hadn't realised that that was a rip-off too, but she's not an archaeologist. Anyhow, um, I find her both alluring and she has agency which is great so there's a fabulous line you said she has no good lines um there's a bit where bond says what do i need to defuse a nuclear bomb and she says me i just I think, great yes. line. um and she and matt who's just finished saying that she does nothing whoa, 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 whoa. to further okay. the plot what does she, she do what does she do in that sequence she tells him which wire to cut and he cuts a different wire to the one she says because he thinks it's a different system no that's a different movie no, that, they're in that pipeline shooting down it, and he's having to deactivate the bomb while she's behind him steering the bloody thing. She should be the one deactivating the bomb. Uh, she does work on the bomb. I think you you need to watch that sequence again. Sorry, mm, that's sure. I just I just took a still off IMDb to illustrate my blog, which has got her working on the bomb. So and that that thing about cutting the wrong wire—that's definitely from a different movie. No, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, maybe if we'd have watched done this. Three weeks ago, we were meant to. It might be fresher in my mind. But now, uh, you, way, your, your argument okay. still holds water in that it's not a pivotal plot point that she stops a nuke going off. Okay. How <laughs> many lines she, does she have in the film? She has quite a few lines. And, and the thing is, they She has 38 were, lines. I counted. Yeah, is that more than Sophie Marceau? Less than well, Sophie Marceau? Well, Sophie Marceau is another problem with this film. Okay, that, that spoiler uh, alert, folks. Sophie Marceau is a Bond girl, but she turns out to be the baddie, which I think yes. is quite a nice twist. It's a brilliant twist. Unfortunately, it means that for the first hour and a half of the film, she's made to look like a bad actress because she's meant to be acting unconvincingly. Is she? As an ex- <laughs> well, I, I would hope. I, I would like to give her credit because I don't think she's that bad an actress. But she's so it's almost like someone has to nudge her to wake her up in some scenes. Look, Sophie Marceau, I, uh, Sophie Marceau looks great in a fur hat on skis, and she's quite effective in a number of scenes in this. But I really, I didn't cotton to her the way I cotton to Denise Richards' Chris, Doctor, Doctor Christmas Jones, not just Christmas Jones. And I love the fact, I mean, the screenwriters, two out of three screenwriters are Wade and Purvis. They're a screenwriting team who've done loads of Bonds. Mm. Uh, and I just want to give the third name. The third name is Bruce Firestein, Firestein, yeah. whom I don't... Do you know his work at all? Um, all I know about him is that he wrote about three James Bond video games. I don't think he did much more after that. And I think that was probably just characters that he was getting credit for. But the thing the thing about Wade and Purvis is that they are long-term stalwarts of writing the Bond series. They're a pair of British writers. I'm not going to go on at length about them, but I think they're a really good writing team. And anybody out there should check out their TV miniseries SSGB, which is really first rate. So yeah, based on Len Dayton's at, book, though. Yeah, yeah, which they did a great job adapting. 
Uh, I'm not saying that necessarily they're great at originating material, but they're very good at crafting screenplays based on other material. Uh, and in this case, I really felt that they worked hard to, to make uh, the Christmas Jones character somebody who could do things, who knew stuff and who could do things, and she wasn't just, you know, a bimbo. That's my feeling. If we compare her to, again, Isabella Scrocco in Goldeneye, uh, Natalia, yeah, okay. who we'll is think. a low-level uh, computer scientist with some degree of hacking ability, she is so proactive in that film. For the first hour of the film, her character works alone uh, in in relation to Bond. She doesn't meet him for an hour into the film. She does it all herself. She does her instruction. She sort of gets her way into the computer play. She, she even manages to get a coat for four scenes that you never see again. It, she does all this from having crawled out of a complete wreck of a building. It's a much more rounded character and a much, probably a better actress actually, but it's almost as though with this film, I suspect they started with good intentions and then it just got whittled down over the course of rewrites and she paid the price, just got lost along the way because it's, I can't believe you're saying that this is a, a, a good character. It's a terrible character. She has lines like, no, no, if that red thing over there comes down, then we've got five minutes to get down this chute and go over there and turn right and then you've got to press this and then we need to do that, otherwise that will go through. You think, what? Who, who is saying these lines? No, nobody speaks like this. Uh, look, she, Matt is really selling her short. I think she's she's one of the better Bond girls. I think she's fairly, she's one of the best things in this film and is a fairly top Bond girl, I would say. Just my own take on it. But just while I was on the computer, because I was about to say to you, okay, Goldeneye, you really like that character in Goldeneye, but that was written by the same team, but it's not. Right. Interestingly, Wade and Purvis had nothing to do with Goldeneye. I didn't say they did. I no, said that in I was, an earlier Bond film they had. No, I was about to make the case that that they would you didn't like their right. writing of women in this film but you did like it in that but I was wrong they, they weren't maybe that is the root of your problem could be the way they write women I bet they wrote Tomorrow Never Dies let's have a quick look um, with just the, the awful the record, Terry Hatcher character whose name I can't even remember Firestein did write was involved with Golden Eyes interestingly so you wanted to know whether or not they worked on which one i tell you why Firestein's probably credited on this one then because he created the character of Zukovsky who's in The World Is Not Enough, and that's probably why he's got a credit on this. I don't think he actually had any major involvement in the script on this one. Which is the one that you were going to bet that they were involved with? Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm, nope. Really? Nope. Who, so, who wrote that? Okay, so we might as well get this for the record. Uh, these guys, who are, I think are a terrific writing team, worked on The World Is Not Enough, uh, excuse me, Die Another Day, <laughs> Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, oh, and uh, Skyfall Inspector. You're just, just, and they're working on the new Bond. Oh, good. And so they had a layoff for a long time, but they came back with the uh, the Daniel Craig's. I, I don't. Uh, there's so much for you to hate about various permutations of Bond, but let's stick to this movie for the time being, if you don't okay. mind. Let's go to the beginning of this one then, and what we always <laughs> have with a Bond film, which is a lovely long pre-title sequence. Right. We always love the classic Bond title sequences, which were by Maurice Binder. Is that correct? Yes. But this one was by some other dude entirely. So I'm sort of asking, did you like? The one for this movie, The World Is Not Enough. I am trying to remember it. Um, yeah, it's sort of like rainbows and oil. I think, oh God, yeah, yeah. It's dated. Um, it, you know, it looks because like most music animation. videos around that time. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's all right. I liked it. And I really like Garbage's uh, theme tune, although it's not yeah. theirs, is it? It's um, Fuckface, the guy that did the music. Um, 
Arnold. David Arnold. And, okay. <laughs> One of the things I really liked about this movie, I might as well get, get it. I thought the title sequence was good. I really like David Arnold's music. Wow. So written, we are in totally different camps on this I, one. I've written good title sequence, good music by David Arnold, a nice ski chase, Sophie looks good in a fur hat, Brosnan is a pretty damn good Bond. That's worth talking about the guys playing Bond before you uh, destroy the minutiae of this film. Okay. I, I, Pierce Brosnan was offered Bond twice before. Right. In fact, no, three times before, I think. He was offered it way back when Roger Moore took over. But he said he was too young. Was he even around? Well, he would have been too young, wouldn't he? Yeah. Well, he said he was too young. He was in his 20s. Um, then he was offered it again when uh, uh, Timothy Dalton took over. But he couldn't do it. I think he was tied up with uh, Remington Steel and was on contract, so he couldn't do it. And then when they got to Goldeneye, he could do it. Right. Um, well, I'm just looking through his filmography to see what he was doing before he became a Bond. Uh, do, 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 do. Well, I guess Remington Steel would have been the thing that, that broke yeah. him through, right? 82 to 87. Yeah. So would that have been about the time that you were talking about when they first offered it to him? No, that was... I'm almost certain it was off. he was offered it when Brosnan was offered it, uh, when uh, Roger Moore was offered it, but he was too... Well, young. he was born in 53, so he would have been about 20 then. Yeah. Um and then he was offered it again and couldn't do it because he was still in the common, uh, the uh, Remington Steel contract. Well, I'm not... You usually know this stuff. So you're saying he was offered it at the same time... He was offered Living Daylights. He accepted Living Daylights. He was the new Bond. And then the Remington Steel contract became a problem. So they went back to Timothy Dalton, who had also been offered it for Roger Moore. Um, well, you said that he was offered at the same time Roger Moore was... Uh, that seems unlikely because he's. I think I'm confusing 50. that one with um, Timothy Dalton, who was offered it when Roger yeah, Moore. Yeah, because he's too, this guy was way too young for that. Okay, but so Brosnan had no, been offered it twice before, but he's been offered it a load of times. I thought he was very effective as a James Bond. What did you think? I think, I think Goldeneye is a really good film, and I think he's a very good Bond in that. And I think Half of Tomorrow Never Dies, he's a very, he's very good. How I many think Bonds did he do? Four. Goldeneye, Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day. I think that's the four. Okie dokie. Um, so, I'm just checking this on. I can't think TV. of any others. So, Goldeneye was the first one. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, yes. and then Die Another oh, yes. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he was really poorly served with lazy scripts. And these are <laughs> terrible scripts. I liked it, folks. Sorry. Goldeneye is a very clever script. And the next three are, well, right through to the Craig Davids, are terrible. His, his name is Daniel Craig. Yeah, I know, I know it annoys you, but it's going to always going to be Craig Davids. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And it, who I think is the best Bond since Connery. Oh, for but we, we, mustn't, we mustn't get outside. Look, we can disagree about this at the right time, okay? So, so let's just you limit your so Pierce Brosnan is yes. very good, but... And what frustrates me is some of these little things, which are such small gestures, but they make a joke of the whole film. And what annoys me is that some of them are his idea. So, but listen, dude, that surely that all Bond movies are like that. Yeah. You and I both like the books, right? Yeah. Do you think the and books are the same as the films? 
No, they're, they're completely yeah, different. It's animal. a totally different world. So yeah. Bond films have evolved over the years, and you've got nice, sensible Bond films early on with Sean Connery for the most part until well, he you comes. You nice sense. He, he, you see a, a duck in the water, and then a scuba diver emerges from the water with a, a stuffed duck on his head. It's James Bond. They, they, they're never intended to be like serious espionage adventures, were they? They're not, but they're not absurd and they're not farcical. They're kind of absurd, you know. The laser later, cut them in later than what? Right, right back. I mean, right back to Doctor No. There's a shark infested pool. I'd like to apologise to the. I'd like to just pause and apologise to the folks back home. This was supposed to be about the world is not enough, but it's sort of a global. It is in a way because it justifies the rants about the world is not enough because. You need to have a believable world, a consistent believable world that works in order for these films to work. And they had that in the early days. And by I would, the time I would of these films, they've that. put this out of the window. So you get... Well, surely scenes... by the time of Roger Moore, they put it out the window. Yes, yes, they had. But we're not doing Roger Moore at the moment. We're doing... Okay, but <laughs> this... Enough. Oh, now you're turning it back on me. So, so listen, you say that this is not taking place in a recognisable world. I think this looks like a lot more authentic and down-to-earth than the earlier Bonds. So in what way does it violate reality for you? There's a sequence at the very beginning of this where Bond yes. is chasing a lady and he's driving a little tiny hovercraft down the Thames. And at yeah, one point it, it dives underwater. And as it goes yeah. underwater, he straightens oh. his tie. But that's a perfect James Bond gesture. Now, in going back to good old Goldeneye again, there's a sequence in that where he crashes a tank through a wall in a chase sequence and he straightens yeah. his tie. That's, that works. <laughs> Underwater, I know why the, it makes no I, bloody sense at all. I know, I know why the other one doesn't work. You just hate underwater stuff. Do you know what? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Maybe it's just that one sequence underwater that really. I, no, actually, there's a lot underwater in this one. <laughs> but but okay, so it, obviously there isn't. The world is not enough. There is not enough time in the world to cover all of the things you hate about this movie. So please. Uh, no, no, we haven't even started yet. <laughs> I know. So I'm asking you to to, to you know. Keep your ammunition and use it judiciously. As opening sequences go, what do you think of this one as a whole? Well, it depends on where, how much of the opening sequence we're talking about. I, I, does it run all the way through to the Millennium Dome? Yes, it does yes. before the titles come up. Okay, I liked a lot of this opening sequence, but what I didn't like about it was, because it begins in Madrid, in Spain, in Bilbao yeah. or somewhere, uh, and then it goes back to London to MI6 headquarters, uh, and then it, there's a chase along the Thames. I enjoyed almost all of that. You know, it's a Bond movie. But when he takes his boat and drives, you know, he drives along a, off out of the river, down a street, and like he's driving through a fish market, through a restaurant. I didn't like that at all. That was the bit I didn't like. This goes back to my complaint for Thunderball. I think it was Thunderball. <laughs> Just which let it is lie. That Bond is meant to be saving lives. But as a character, he puts way more lives at risk and shows no interest in the safety of others. And that sequence you're talking about with the fish market and just driving through yeah, there. Exactly. People Drives are going to die. Yeah. For, for what reason? Because he catches up with her I know. and she dies anyway. So the entire sequence is utterly pointless. Uh, it, we it's, learn it's just, nothing except that he it, gets a slightly bad shoulder. Yeah. Which, which is a plot astonishingly point, is a plot point. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's... I think I need to dwell on some of the stuff I don't like so that there's some concurrence. This... It does have some eerie parallels with Thunderball in that he 
he needs to be he, he shags the doctor again or in that one it was perhaps not a doctor she might have been a physiotherapist right if you remember in the mm. uh, health clinic in the uh well, in back in that's blackmail sex in thunderball yeah yeah, yeah. this at it, least it seems to be consensual <laughs> <laughs> okay so you like that bit all right i, I wasn't wild about him shagging well, the doctor again. i always prefer consensual sex over non-consensual sex as yeah, a general rule <laughs> yes yeah, so, well i, I hast, hastily added that of course i do too <laughs> But that wasn't what I was getting. I, so that was one of the things I didn't like about it. So let's get back to what I liked about it. Um, I, well, actually, another thing I didn't like about it, I said you'd never have a good guy building an oil pipeline today. And there's a terrible line that about that supplying our oil reserves for the next century. I thought, what fucking universe? I mean, this was 1999. I know. So global warming was had been known for 40 year, 20 years at that point. Again, this comes down to just this vapid script, which you seem to love so much, is that there's no thought gone into Very it. Very well structured. I liked Dr. Christmas Jones. I like Wade and Purvis. No, you're wrong. Did you like Robbie Coltrane, who's sort of the quasi-bad guy, good guy? I do like Robbie Coltrane. Um, I can't remember if he's in Tomorrow Never Dies or not. I don't think he is. I think it's just these two films. Well, um, he's in more than one, is he? Yeah, oh. he starts in Goldeneye. He's Zukovsky. He's the guy that I think Bruce Firestein created, and that's why he gets a writing credit on this oh, film. That's well that's pretty good going it's getting a writing credit just for that but Robbie Coltrane is good in this I liked him uh, I'm waiting for you to t- t- spew venom everywhere no no I, oh, I, like, I liked Robert Carlyle whom you right. also cite as one of the best Bond villains no I don't well you, no okay I'll take that back you cited as the only Bond villain with a real motivation yes but the problem with his motivation is that it kills <laughs> the character because his character feels nothing and yeah. is therefore Carlyle's taking the decision that he quite literally feels nothing he's emotionless just for listeners the, the thing about this villain his gimmick is that he's got a bullet in his brain which is slowly working its way through to kill him ultimately meanwhile it's it's, it's cutting off his senses it's also giving him superhuman strength <laughs> now i'd like to quickly dive in at that point because this character trait was recycled by stig larson for a bad guy in one of his books i think it was the girl who kicked the hornet's nest there, there's a a big muscular bad guy who can't feel pain which is the same gimmick that matt's talking about here which i thought was interesting i'm sure stig must have seen this movie well i'm not sure but, but i i would i would submit that thesis carlana lapted like i say have taken the decision that this means that the character has no emotional level either his feelings are completely gone so what you've got is an unemotional character almost in a haze wandering through this film with no emotion all his lines are delivered in the same monotone not quite. There's a bit where he's in bed with um, Sophie Marceau and he's talking about how gorgeous she is. And she says, well, and she has this great line that, how do you know that? You can't even feel anything. Like she's, she's talking about her magnificent smooth skin or something. Yeah, it feels like one of those scenes where everyone pats them on themselves on the back afterwards. It, it, it just felt trite to me. I don't, I like <laughs> a, a villain with a motive. And in this case, his motive is that he's got a dick and he fancies her. And he's trying to impress her, basically. That's what this comes down now, now, to. Now, Matt, we've been friends for a long time, so you can be honest with me. Yes. Do, do you not like this film? <laughs> you can come out you know and what? say it. You don't have to pussyfoot around. This is still not the worst Bond film. <laughs> so we've no, still got that, this the worst Bond. The worst Bond film would be one with a Bond girl called Pussyfoot Around in it, which I'm sure is coming quite soon. Uh, let me just race through the other things I got because obviously we're never going to agree about this. I've written this is one of the better Bonds. <laughs> I've written Denise Richards is a smart cookie. 
decommissioning nukes. Good twist. Sophie is a bad guy, which you agreed with. Oh, I've written the Stockholm syndrome is shit because that's one of the their mm-hmm. arguments is that she's a baddie because she went over to the bad guys when she'd been kidnapped. Interestingly, like literally the day before I watched this, I was listening to a radio documentary with a woman whom Stockholm syndrome is named after, and it's just totally bogus. I mean, she didn't. That's not what happened to her. Uh, she's been completely misrepresented. So I just put that out there. Don't throw the word Stockholm syndrome around like like I used to. So another very good piece of research by the writers there who you admire. Well, no, back in 1999, I mean, this is this was like last week that this came out. So back in 1999, them and everybody else, you've really got it in for these poor guys just because I like them. Anyway, Wade and Purvis, terrific pair of British screenwriters. Do you know what I they call that doctor, straight. by the way, that doctor, the um, Bond Shags? Do you know the character name? Do, do, uh, Doc Shaggy? <laughs> Dr. Holly Warmflash. Oh, my God. No, it's Molly. Do you see? You, you can't be Holly. relied on for anything. Molly, it says here. Oh, does it? Well, I was yeah. pretty sure it was Holly Warmflash. Well, I, think I think that's what that the under, old trading cards think, used to say. I think it undermines your reliability on this entire film. So I think people could just take everything you say with a grain of salt. Can I just add I that do, that's... I do have positives for this film, but yes. there's so many negatives. But I Can feel I just that, say that positives the, would be better coming last. Molly Warmflash is pr- pr- played by Serena Scott Thomas. Who is she Kristen Scott Thomas's? Yeah, lady? they're related, yeah. yeah. Th- th- she's really good. Uh, I, th- I liked her a lot. I think the cast is generally very good. I like, even John like Cleese. Goldie. Oh, yes, we can agree on something. I've no. written this down. <laughs> no, we can't. I've written this down. Just let me read exactly what I've written. Okay. The scene with Cleese is fucking awful. Yes. That's, almost hey! what, that's exactly what I've written. John Cleese uh, is just awful. Yeah, I, I've, I've written... Oh, th- this... We've spoken in the past about... In fact, it was uh, the last bomb that we did... Uh, which was, uh, I think it was Roger Moore's last one, wasn't it? Future Kill, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forgot we how, how antiquated that the, the regulars were getting and a money penny had got very old and, and Bond had got very, Moore had got very old, Bond, and there was a scene with the two of them together as like the old folks home. Well, come this movie, money penny, money penny has been recast, but Q is still here and he's just, he just... Uh, you know, he's just pitifully old. I'm sorry, to, you know, I'm not being mean, but didn't you feel that? Yes, but this is a man's world and men keep working and women are laid off. And that's it how was, it works, especially it in the was, army, is that if you have rank, you are held on to. Plus, it if you're just sad watching him. I felt it, it was is. sad. Well, it's sadder still that he's having to work with Cleese. But my well, here, main... let's talk about how Cleese who I think is a comic genius, is wretchedly bad in this. It's just... This is the problem with the films by this stage, is that the character of Q starts out as a very sensible, ordinary character. Um, he provides gadgets. Well, now, also he has, happened... like Scotty in Star Trek, he has one line, uh, which is, you know, something to do with Bond misusing the stuff he makes, right? Well, it's usually pay attention, 007. That's, that's, okay. that's the key yeah. line, isn't it? What's happened is, at some point, and I think it's probably the Roger Moore films where it really starts to get bad, is that you have the Q scene, which basically involves Q talking to Bond and in the background loads of shit going on with ridiculous gadgets and things, which make no fucking sense. I mean, it's a health and safety nightmare. They've got bullets, rockets, everything flying around. And I Can think... we do dwell on the, the crappiness of Cleese, which was yes. a well, real this is shock the problem, to me. is that because they've decided that these are comic scenes... They've had this astonishing idea of, okay, well, now we'll cast a comedian 
as the new Q because he's clearly there to replace Yeah, and a, and a comedian of genius who here is not not the slightest bit funny. He's well, just sad. Don't, don't. don't. You, a lot of people get dragged into this thing of John Cleese being genius. If John Cleese was genius, he'd have a lot more successes. But he has well, one every two decades. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've got to say, you're just taking a chainsaw to, to every, every idol well, in the pantheon. But anyway. I would argue that anyone that watches this film would not understand how John Cleese has any reputation well, I agree. as a comedian. Uh, this is, I'm glad we've got something we can agree about. There. But yeah. also, what were the filmmakers thinking? They must have been watching this and thinking, this is shit. But they, I think what probably happened is they'd already paid Cleese and they'd put him on all the advertising and now they were stuck with him. Um, it's, it no, really I think drags they, the they, film they, down. I disagree. I think that they thought they'd done a good job with Cleese, and it's, but it's just, it's just garbage. And you mentioned Goldie as well there. Yeah. Um, are you going to hard. attack poor old Goldie? Well, look, I like Goldie as a musician. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of a trip hop guy. Okay. I'm fine with that. <laughs> scary. Goldie as an actor. Yeah. But what happened in the promotion of this film at the time, and this is one of those ones that I remember being promoted because it's more recent, is that they really played up the Jaws angle. And we haven't covered Jaws yet because we haven't done our spying with love and commentary, but we right. will at some point. And again, this is where you get to the gimmicky villain. Uh, so it was Goldie's gold teeth supposed to evoke Jaws, do you think? The idea was that in the uh, preliminary uh, publicity for the film, they were describing him as the son of Jaws. As though would somehow it, if Jaws yeah. fucked someone, they'd come up with gold teeth. I don't fully understand the thinking there. But well, then they, they, dropped that pretty, well, they dropped it quickly because they realised they'd have to pay the guy that invented Jaws. Well, but also, <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't... Jaws has a more uh, active role. This guy, he's sort of a subsidiary bad guy, a subsidiary bad guy in this. I think very rightly they put him to the sidelines. Um, but I don't know why he's there, because you basically have him there, like Christmas Jones, you have him there just for the jokes. So put your money where your mouth is, which uh, is a joke which Goldie entirely, has Christmas heard constantly. Jones is, there's, a, there's a big plot about plot line about nukes in this, and Christmas Jones is, is very important to that. Uh, mm. I've written Denise Richards is a is a smart cookie decommissioning nukes. I, I like her. I think she's one of the better Bond girls. I would have said best, but you've just bludgeoned me so much. Seriously, <laughs> when we've done, when did you last see Goldeneye? Well, okay, let's make that, that. Let's try and find a positive out of all this this ocean of negativity that's flooding into the submarine of doom here, and say what has emerged from this is obviously we should do Goldeneye next. I've already done it. I've got my notes written up. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that was supposed to be our first Brosnan, wasn't it? And, you've, and then Apted died. <laughs> well, I think Apted did a good job. I think this is one of the better Bonds, as I said. But um, thanks very much. You've lent me a fantastic set of Bond Blu-rays. So I have, physically with me, here on the other side of the England, we, where we live. Uh, so I can watch that and uh, we can talk about it next time. Look, I'm sorry that there was so little... There was so little common ground that there wasn't really much of a discussion to be had about this. Just well, there, there is, because our... we haven't touched on any positives here. Do you know well, what I really like about these Brosnan films? And it okay. doesn't start until Tomorrow Never Dies, and it carries right. on in this one, is finally Bill Tanner is in them. Tanner being? Uh, Bond's colleague in the books. Uh, Bill Tanner is the guy he works with. In fact, I think in one book they even share an office. And but he's not a he's not a he, double O. No, he's uh, played by Michael Kitchen in this, and he turns up as well, I think, in the next film. But then also Bill Tanner, I think they use in the the Craig David ones as well. So they finally cotton on to the idea that Bond does need a colleague within MI 
six, whatever they call it now. Um, <laughs> it is MI6. And right. also what's quite nice in this is that very briefly, you finally get to see Bond do a bit of desk work. Which, again, in the books, he's always sitting at his desk and looking at the pile of paperwork undone, knowing that he's got to do it, and nearly always finds a way out of it or something else to do instead. I loved David Arnold's music, and I, mm. I really, it really reminded me... No, stop making noises. How, what a sh- terrible shame it was that he was dumped because uh, Sam Mendes wanted to work with his regular composer, who is, I think, Thomas Newman? David Newman? I get mixed up. Anyway, he's the guy that... Uh, that was brought on by Mendes is not as good as David Arnold. David Arnold, after Barry, is the best Bond composer. Yeah, I don't agree. I don't like David Arnold's music. What I do like is the <laughs> album that he curated. The um, oh, it's great, Shaken, Shaken and Stirred. Not Stirred, fabulous, fantastic should, album. We both agree on that. Anybody out there who's interested in Bond film music, please get Shaken Not Stirred by David Arnold. It's a classic. Something that really helps with a Bond film is not to be overly reliant on the Bond theme tune. And well, David you, you Arnold that, uses but, but, it uh, constantly. Whereas if you look, and I'm sorry to keep bringing this film up, but it just happens it's another Brosnan film. But if you look at um, Goldeneye, which is composed by Eric Serra, he uses the Bond film theme twice in that film. And the oh. first time isn't until about an hour and ten minutes in. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant the theme written for each new film. You mean the Bond The theme, actual, right? the Monty sorry. Norman uh, yeah. music. As arranged by John Barry, right? Yeah, which even Barry doesn't use it. He uses 007 theme more, his own theme. Yeah. Um, you've got to use it sparingly or it has no effect. So you feel David Arnold overuses it? All the time. A lot. And he also doesn't use any of the melodies from his theme tune, which, again, John Barry was really good with incorporating. Well, those. we were talking about that in View to a Kill, how, how that the main the, the thematic material from the song in that movie keeps cropping out, and it's wonderful, isn't it great? Yeah. And The World Is Not Enough has a great, uh, is a great piece of music and a great song, which was entirely written by him. It had garbage had nothing to do with it. She just, uh, Shirley Manson sang it, and yeah. the other guys performed it. But, yeah, it, they didn't I have any hand in writing. I don't think you mean Shirley Manson, do you? Yes, I do. Okay. Who do you think Shirley Manson is? Well, I didn't think Shirley Manson was garbage. Yeah. I can't okay. believe you're Googling this. Are you I... thinking of Marilyn Manson? Yes. Yeah, no, no. Yes. no. That's Marilyn Manson meant. is a man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your telepathy. No, that's great. <laughs> Shirley Manson. No, no. That's exactly who I was thinking. And I thought, yeah, thanks, dude. <laughs> Yes, because I was looking at pictures of her when I was doing picture research for this, and it wasn't Marilyn Manson. Thank you, thank you, you've <laughs> saved me. But and full marks for for mind reading. Good man. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, in terms of Bond themes, I'd been happy if David Arnold had just composed the theme songs. But as a composer for the films themselves, I just find him. I mean, it's just drum oh, okay. and bass, constant drum and bass, and it. it I thought you were a drum has, and bass kind of guy. No, I'm a trip hop kind of guy. Okay. Drum and bass has no dramatic emphasis. And there is no drama in this. All it serves is as a heartbeat okay. to the scene. So all it does is pump the action, which is not that enjoyable. It makes the action scenes you... lack a, a depth, which but John Barry you... creates, even on his I, off days. I've been rendered speechless. Now, I was just going to say, you you said there were some more positives. Let's get a few positives in there before we wrap up. Yeah, I'm just reading through a long list of nothing. <laughs> I know there yeah, was some. Yeah, boy, you hated this movie, um, but uh, Denise Richards is wonderful. Uh, Apta does a great job it's an interesting film it's well written I I found it engrossing it had a lot of flaws and a lot of dull moments Uh, you know by dull I mean 
pointless action, but all Bond films do. One, well, actually, that's not true. I think that the Daniel Craig ones don't, but we'll get to that. Well, unfortunately, yeah, I, I've already done Casino Royale and I did not have fun. No, so uh, you did you have anything else positive to say about The World Is Not Enough? Just looking through the end of my notes, uh, another scene of... Yeah, you see, yet another scene of the bad guy no, machine no gunning his we've allies had, gleefully. We've, had a, we've, we've seen enough it negatives. four times now. We've had enough negatives. In four different films or in the same film? Uh, it was in View to a Kill, Christopher yes, Walken machine guns everyone <clears throat> Absolutely. down. Uh, in Goldeneye, um, they, they machine gun all their own guys down. But this was supposed to be your list of positives if there were any left. Well, I think the M-Bond relationship is good. I think Judy Dench is superb as M. And I think she works really well with uh, Pierce Brosnan in a way that she doesn't work well with Craig David. Uh, you did did the new that. M in the shape of Judy Dench and the new Money Penny? Uh, did they in the shape of Samantha Bond? Did they come on board with Brosnan? Goldeneye, yeah. So yeah. when the film film sort of rebooted after the next Kevin yeah. McClory debacle, yeah. Okay, that's which we need to cover too. So listen, um, in conclusion, in conclusion. I'm still going through here. I know I had another positive. He but... doesn't, folks. He doesn't have another positive. I wanted to ask, is the only connection with Fleming the fact that the world is not enough is the Bond family motto? Is that is that it? In terms of you basing this on Fleming's material, there's no short story or anything that's been... Not that I know. I can't think of anything in no. this that was in I a short there story, is, but, but there's not a lot left by you. this stage, is there? Because, you, yeah, they're picking the bones clean, it's true. Um, honestly, I can't understand why you like this script. With M, okay. <laughs> M is held so, prisoner by the bad guys, yeah. uh, by Robert Carlyle. Yeah. And they put a little clock in front of her in a little jail cell, and they yeah. say, we're going to kill you in the morning. Yeah. Kill her now. <laughs> why kill her in the morning? Listen, if you're going to take that point of view, there'd be many speeches that have been delivered to Mr. Bond, which could never have happened. Haven't they just? But then film has evolved, and audiences have evolved, and they don't take this kind of shit anymore. Well, you clearly don't. No. Listen, dude, I think we have to disagree to, to agree to disagree about this one. Uh, but at least it's opened our way to the next Bond, which is probably going to be Goldeneye. Uh, say so in conclusion, say something really nasty about this, then we'll turn off the recorder. About what is not enough? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of face slapping in it. I, t I tell you what did occur to me right at the very oh, beginning. Okay. Is I couldn't Back to the believe. Beginning. Right, this film God was 1999. Oh, I dear. couldn't believe how old London looked. Well, I'm not sure you can blame the filmmakers for that. But could I, it's a long time ago. This film's over 20 years old now. Yeah, it's, it's a picture of a lost world. Yeah, and I, just London itself, like police cars, looked so old. One of the better Bond films, I thought. Man alive, I, I am astonished. <laughs> This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. Now, pay attention, 007. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. And the second? Always have an escape plan.